Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 20, verse 25. We've been talking, we started talking last week about the road to Jerusalem. And today we're talking about the big request just before Jesus says these words. James and John come to him with a big request. There's something they want. And at the end of the story, he says these things to all the disciples. But Jesus called them to him in verse 20 and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave." Even as the Son of Man cannot be, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Father, I pray You'd help us to examine our hearts today, and I hope and I pray that there's a desire in all of us to be great in Your kingdom, to accomplish great things for the glory of Your kingdom. Lord, let our hearts be right in that. Let our spirits be right in it. Stir new vision. Stir new passion and desire in us. And let your word do a work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about how divisive Jesus was in Jerusalem. How there were people for him and against him. How controversial of a figure Jesus had become. The last months of Jesus' life, in fact, about the most of the last year, he avoided Jerusalem and only came there a, a couple of times. Yet we know he had an appointment with that very place. So we're looking at some of the big events in Jesus' ministry, especially from the Feast of Dedication that happened in December until April and what would be the Passover, what would become known to us as Good Friday. And Jesus' destiny to come to Jerusalem on that very day, that very time, to pay a ransom price for us. It's important to note that the road to Jerusalem did not begin with Jesus' ministry. In fact, the road to Jerusalem didn't even begin with his birth in Bethlehem. The start of the road was not even at the proclamation of the prophet Isaiah or in the promise to David that the permanent kingdom would flow through him. No, if you want to see the beginning to the road to Jerusalem, you've got to go back further. You've got to go back past Moses and the establishment of the law and the sin sacrifice, past Joseph and the promise that the children of Israel would be delivered from Egypt. You've got to go further back, back even past Abraham and the proclamation that his seed would be a blessing to the nations. If you go even to the garden and to the fall of mankind and hear the promise of a deliverer, you still wouldn't be at the start of the road to Jerusalem. See, it's impossible, I think, for you and me as finite beings to understand the inner workings of an infinite being, an all-knowing being, the one who creates all things and has created all things that we see and hear and feel, a being without beginning or end, 
We can't imagine one. It's impossible for me to, I don't know about, but it's impossible for me to imagine one who has created time itself and is not ruled by time. That time has no effect on this being. Somewhere in this great creator was creation itself. And in creation was a creature meant to walk in joyful unity with him. A, a creature, a creation that he would express his love to, and they would be able to express their love to him. That there would be unity between the creator and the created. And he would bless the created with fullness of joy, with fullness of peace, that they would be free and yet connected spirit to spirit with their creator. They would have a purposeful, fulfilled life. They would be eternal beings with no wants, no worries, completeness in him. Embedded with the breath of creativity to bless others and to see and enjoy the service and the talents of others. No competition to defeat. No competition to put others down. But the joyful use of gifts and talents to be a strength and a blessing to others. Yet God knew that this creation would be faced with temptation. In fact, he knew that this creation would succumb to temptation. And that in succumbing to this temptation would be bring separation between him and the created. And this separation would wreck the lives of the created and wreck the planet that they live on. In justice, this being deserved to be and must be condemned for his act of rebellion. But in God's great love, he would reach out to that creation and send one who was perfect to be the ransom price for them to redeem them, to bring them back into relationship with him. Somewhere, somehow, the all-powerful, all-knowing God created the road to Jerusalem. A rescue mission for mankind. His son would invade the earth in its fallen state, not with the grandeur leading an angelic army, but humbly in a manger, taking on the form of a man. Here for the sole purpose to seek and save the lost. And to do that, it would require some time in the hands of ruthless men in a city we know as Jerusalem 
where the innocent would pay that ransom price for the fallen, that anyone who would come to him could be delivered from that separation rebellion had caused. Anyone who would recognize the emptiness of their soul, the emptiness of their uh, the, the emptiness of their soul and the emptiness of their morality and know that they needed something better could come and find salvation in the name of Jesus. When Jesus came, though, he didn't stop there. He came, his time on earth would not only be marked by miracles to give authority to his claim, but teaching that would set his followers on a redeemed course in life, showing those who followed him how to continue on this earth with a, with a right vision and a right pers- purpose with the Spirit of God guiding them. During his time on earth, he would lay down the principles of his kingdom so that we could find a better way and know a right way to live. As Jesus began to reveal himself, he prayerfully selected 12 men to be up front, close at hand witnesses of all that he said and all that he did. Common men with the most uncommon task. Men whose names would be written in eternal history. Two of those men were fishermen. Their names were James and John. Today when we think about them, we think about them and the outcome of their lives. After the church, after they had grown and they understood the fullness of, more the fullness of the kingdom, after the church had developed for a few years in Jerusalem, after Jesus had been resurrected and the day of Pentecost had come and the church began to unfold, number of years had gone by and there had been times of persecution, but then in Jerusalem, Herod begins to harass the church. He sees that in harassing the church that the Jewish leaders like that, and so he decides to really pour it on. And he has James killed by the, with the sword. James would be counted as the first apostle to be martyred. John, his brother, would be the only one not to be killed for his faith. Instead, at the end of his life, he would be in prison on the Isle of Patmos until his death. But as Jesus, at this time, heads towards Jerusalem, James and John are young men. When comparing the events around the cross, many believe that James and John were actually the first cousins of Jesus, that they had begun to follow him closely when he, when they, at the very early stages of Jesus' ministry. And with Peter, they would make up the inner circle, even of the twelve, the inner circle of Jesus' followers. Now, friends, I want to tell you, when you're young men, it's good to be a bit cautious about your proclamations to learn from others and to ask more questions is a wise process when you're young. But that was not necessarily the way of James and John. James and John would be known by Jesus, called by Jesus, 
the sons of thunder for the way that they would act and the proclamations that they would make and the things that they would do. John would be known as the beloved disciple in spite of all of those things. They had witnessed and heard all the truths of Jesus. Their view of the needs of the world, though, were of the world were still directed by their thinking and the way they saw the world. As they draw near Jerusalem, they still don't understand the grand purpose of Jesus. It's important that we understand it. That we understand that he came to be a ransom price. But he also came to reform our thinking and our view of the world. Jesus has told them on at least three occasions that he is going to Jerusalem to suffer death at the hands of wicked men. It's at one, of these, at one of these declarations that Peter steps up and says, Not so, Lord, and gets rebuked thoroughly by Jesus for not having the mind of God. It's important for us to read the Word, to know the Word, to study the Word, to let the mind of God reign inside of us. And he warned them, even as he told them about his suffering, he warned them, that they too had a future that would hold the same kind of suffering. On the road to Jerusalem, though, they still, they still miss the point of the grand, that the grand purpose of Jesus is to be a ransom for the lost and that theirs was to be a witness to his glory. They are still thinking about greatness in the lens of this world. So one day, in this process, with their mom, possibly Jesus' aunt, they come to Jesus and ask him to grant a request. Will you give us something we want? And they come, like many times our children are, come to us, wanting us to make a promise without us knowing what the promise is. Will you promise me something? Will you give your word to something? Will you do something? They don't, they don't tell us what they're wanting us to promise to. Jesus looks at him and says, like a wise parent, uh, before I make any such promise, what is it you exactly that you want? And then they, they spill the grand request. When you come into your kingdom, we want to sit at your right, one of us at your right, and one at the left when the throne is established. They are worried at this moment about their spot in glory. They want to get in before Peter makes a claim. They want to get in and make sure they've got their spot laid out before all the other Apostles have a spot. So they bring mom along to appeal to the affection of Jesus and to appeal to, 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 appeal to their place with him, trying to get them, Jesus, to make a promise. It's interesting. Jesus does not rebuke them for desiring a place 
of greatness. He does tell them that these spots are not for him to give. But he doesn't go after them and say, desiring to be great in the kingdom is an evil thing. In the next moments, the other disciples catch wind of their request. And uh, as self-seeking men, uh, they are offended. This is typical fruit of selfishness. It's anger and it's frustration when you feel like somebody's trying to get something that you should get. They didn't trust that Jesus would handle it. And an argument amongst the group begins to unfold about who really is the greatest and who deserves what. And Jesus hears it all. And, you know, I don't know if Jesus ever rolled his eyes, but this would have been a good time. He walks over to them, and again, he doesn't rebuke them for desiring greatness. In fact, he goes just the opposite way. In fact, the Bible goes just the opposite way. In fact, the Bible encourages us to desire greatness in the kingdom. Before we look at Jesus' words, let's listen, listen to what Paul would have to say to the Romans in Romans chapter 2. He says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing, listen, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Now listen to verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Paul is appealing to them to seek the glory and the honor of God. Jesus, in this very story, in Matthew chapter 20, calls them to him as they're arguing. He says these interesting words. You know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. They're arguing over this point. Who's going to have authority? Who's going to have power? Who's going to have position? And he says to them, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus answers their big request by showing them the true pathway to greatness in his kingdom. It's not in this argument. It's not in this position. It's not in where your seats are at in the throne room. No, 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 he says. That's not the deal. It's not who's going to have authority and power over others. No, 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 no. 
Not so among you. I didn't come, he says, in that way. I came to serve. And in my kingdom, greatness is going to be measured in who's willing to serve. See, we are warned in the Bible not to give of our tithe and our offering and our money to be seen as great by men. We're warned not to do that. We're warned in the Bible not to pray to be seen as great by men. We are warned in the Bible not to fast to be seen by, as great by men. We're told to give. We're told to pray. We're told to fast. But we're told not to do it to try to gain glory for ourselves. Here, Jesus warns us not to exercise authority as the great men of this world act. Jesus is clear. The world has it wrong. He's showing us a new pathway to greatness. Jesus is turning this thing around. They don't get it yet. They don't understand the ultimate service Jesus will offer mankind on the cross. But he's telling them, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. Follow my example. Think today how much different the world would be if the authorities of the world served instead of seeking glory and honor for themselves. If around the world today, the men and women who hold power instead of building palaces for themselves did what was good for the people, it'd be a different world, wouldn't it? Greatness found in pleasing God and serving others is pleasing to God. I've had the privilege to work here at Calvary Church over the last you know, almost 40 years with many men and women in our church, volunteers, board members, staff members, uh, frankly, men and women who have been very demanding. But you know what their demand has been? I've been so privileged to work around men and women whose demand has been, how do we serve the kingdom of God? How do we bless this church? What's right and good for this church? It has been a delight to serve with these men and women who don't walk in with hidden agendas and personal agendas, but walk into planning times and meetings saying, what's best for the kingdom of God. Now, I'll tell you, occasionally someone with selfish motives has come along, but they wash out before long. They don't last long. Those who demand that we serve them, uh, the demand that we serve them, you know, those who demand that we serve others make those who are seeking to be served, who are seeking power, really uncomfortable quickly. They don't understand the difference. It's in the joy of serving that the kingdom becomes strong. Now listen, friends. Evil is found in self-service. This is true in life. When self is at the center, 
It doesn't bring good, it brings bad. As self becomes stronger, one author put it, as self becomes stronger, relationships become weaker. I would add, as the desire for self becomes stronger, the voice of God in us becomes weaker. The more we want to serve ourselves, the less we hear, we hear Him. And the more we want to serve ourselves, the less we can have a healthy relationship with others. Do you understand that even Pilate recognized it in the Pharisees when they handed him Jesus over to them? He recognized this is out of jealousy. This is out of their self-seeking that they're really doing this. This is why he worked and tried to get Jesus to be set free. He recognized what the motive was. Paul ran into it time and time again when he went into a city and he would begin to teach in the synagogue. And at first they would receive him. And then as, as his popularity grew and as the message grew, the leaders in so many of the synagogues would grow jealous or some leader in the city would grow jealous and they'd begin to attack him. You see, the marked difference between the Jewish leaders and Paul was this. Paul persecuted the church. Paul worked to have people killed. Yet God saw in him a selfless desire to serve and protect the kingdom. He just didn't know the way. He was kicking against the very thing he wanted to defend. And so on the Damascus road, Jesus reveals himself to Paul as the risen Savior. And Paul turns and follows Jesus and never looks back. That happens because in Paul's heart, he was trying to do what was good for the kingdom. He was just wrong. And when we're doing our best in the kingdom, God reveals himself when our motives are selfless. But when our motives are selfish, when we're trying to serve ourselves, when our world revolves around us, the voice of God gets quieter and quieter in our hearts. Jesus is saying to strive, that to strive for greatness is good. However, greatness is found in his example. And the cost of true greatness is, is, is found in humility and being selfless and sacrificial service. No self-pity in the process. No martyr syndrome. Look how much I'm suffering. Look how much I've given up. But joyful surrender of ourself for the very pleasure of God and the good for others. This is what Jesus did for us. He paid the ransom price for us. Brothers and sisters, listen. This is our time. These are the days we get to walk on this earth. This is our time of testing, and this is our time for fruitfulness. Will we spend it seeking for ourselves, wanting to be loved, wanting power, trying to gain for ourselves, 
Or will we find our fullness in the presence of God in doing his will and in serving others? Which path will we follow? There's an old gospel song that says, have you ever heard God speaking to you? Saying, I've got a job to do. And I'll sure be needing you if it ever gets done. Well, I don't know how much God actually needs us. But I know he wants, to, wants us to be used of him. But Jesus shows us the right way to be used. And the true way to greatness in his kingdom. That that's found in serving others. Do you want to someday stand before God and hear, well done? Do you want to walk in the greatness of the kingdom? It's not because your name's on, going to be because your name's on billboards. It's not going to come because you work and get your name in magazines and your picture in magazines. No. Jesus says that to, have, that to desire greatness is good. The Bible says that it's a right attitude. It is a right request. But here is the pathway. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus, the ransom price. Jesus was not simply a martyr. He wasn't simply an example. He was the redemptive price for lost lives. And Jesus says in our life, do the redemptive work of the kingdom. Care for people, love people, serve people. Don't strive to be an authority to rule over people. But look for a way to be a blessing with the gifts and the talents you have for others. Now, friends, when you listen to this, you've got to understand that what Paul writes, what Paul writes to the Romans he tells them in Romans chapter 3 that Jesus was delivered up to death for our trespasses. As one man brought separation from God into the world. And I've had people come to me from time to time and say, how fair is that? How fair is that? And my answer to them is very simple. Well, whether you consider that death came by one man or not, have you sinned? You've certainly sinned. I've certainly sinned. I'd have blown it. If everybody else hadn't blown it, I'd have blown it. We need salvation. And here's the greatness of it. Just as death came by one man, so can resurrection life come by one man. Amen. So Paul tells the Romans... He came to, be, to pay the price of our trespasses on the cross. Delivered up for our trespasses. Risen from the grave for our justification. Risen from the grave so we could be made just as if we had not sinned. 
I can walk out of this door without the weight of my failure. I can walk out of this door having it lifted off of my life because I received Jesus as my Savior and the hope of my eternity. Amen? Let's all stand together today and let's pray. And I'm going to ask the music guys to come up. Prayer teams, would you make your way to the front today? Fathers, we bow our hearts before you today. I, I would pray today that you'd let us measure out our hearts. Father, we don't want to rule as the world rules. I, I would pray that if, there, if that's in any of us, by the power of a position, by our boldness to argue, by our willingness to put others down. That, Lord, we would look in our hearts and you would speak to us. And that we'd begin to serve in your kingdom the way your son served. That we would hear this great lesson that he laid out for the apostles. It shall not be so among you. That, Father, in this fellowship and in our homes, in our lives, we would seek greatness the right way. Father, I pray that all of us would have that hunger, that we would all desire to be great in your kingdom. But, Father, not the selfish great, but the selfless great. So today, speak to hearts and speak to lives. And help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we're so grateful that your son paid the ransom price for us, that he came and selflessly served. And today, Father, there's some in this room who need to receive that price into their life. They need to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And we're so grateful that your word says that everyone calls on his name will be saved. And so today, Father, I pray you'd help us to receive that. There are others here today that are saved, but the enemy's trying to beat them up with their past. Father, let, let us leave our past at the foot of the cross and know that we're new creatures in you. But Lord, as we close this prayer today, I pray you let us go out into this world and serve like your son served. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These next few moments, we're going to open these altars. If you have a, any need in your life, we do this every week. If you're new here, every week we give this opportunity. We believe prayer changes things. We believe God's interested in our lives. We believe God knows our hearts and he gives us the opportunity to come and meet with our needs and that to pray together is a good thing. He tells us to do that in his word. And so whatever your need is, I, I want to encourage us to be sensitive. Let people move before you move out if you're not going to come forward. Let people come down and be prayed for. Whatever your need is, come let somebody pray for you, especially today. Especially today, if you're not certain that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not certain that if you stood before God, you'd hear, well done. If you think... Well, I need to get this right with God. If there's something in your heart tugging at that, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart saying, He's talking to you right now. 
then you step out and come down and let somebody pray with you. Just say, I want to make sure my heart's right with God. But Christians, let's seek greatness. And let's seek it with our service to the world. Amen? I challenge you, go and be great in Jesus' name. Amen.